Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Animal Health Podcast with me, Kathy Davis. Today's episode is the second in a series which digs into the science behind trace minerals for New Zealand livestock. Once again, I'm joined by veterinarian Dr. Peter Pulford, who explains why animals need these minerals and how they work. Hi, Peter. Hi, Kathy. This time, our trace mineral is iodine. Now, you'll find iodized salt in most New Zealand kitchens, and I'm guessing that a lot of people listening to this episode would be familiar with the importance of iodine in human health. But why is it also so important for livestock? The key thing about iodine for both ourselves and for animals is that it is essential for active thyroid hormone. As the name suggests, this hormone is produced by the thyroid gland and it has a number of critical roles in the body. The ones we're particularly interested in in this context are to do with energy, growth and reproduction. All cells in the body have receptors for thyroid hormones, so this gives you an indication of its significance. A good example of iodine's role in the health of individual animals would be goiter. This is an enlargement of the thyroid gland, and we see it most typically in lambs born to ewes which have not had enough iodine during pregnancy. These lambs usually don't survive. In terms of flock production, another good example would be poor fertility in breeding ewes. In fact, this should raise a red flag of a potential iodine deficiency. How do animals actually get iodine, Peter? Well, in general terms, iodine occurs naturally in soil and pasture. So the most common way is that they ingest it as part of their diet. But if there is little to no iodine in the soil, pastures grown in these conditions will also lack iodine. And without some form of supplementation, livestock will become deficient. That point is very relevant for farmers in certain parts of New Zealand where the soils are known to be iodine deficient. Large areas of Southland and Central Otago fall into this category, as do parts of Westland, Nelson and coastal and inland Canterbury. In the North Island, some Manawatu soils are also low in iodine. There's another really important factor to do with the diet that has to be considered when we're talking about iodine in our farm systems. Some crops that are fed to livestock contain compounds that interfere with the body's ability to absorb iodine and also suppress thyroid hormone activity, even if the soils on which they're grown are not themselves iodine deficient. So you can end up with what's called an induced iodine deficiency in animals grazing these crops. Brassicas, such as kale, are the key crop species here and that obviously has real implications for many New Zealand farmers who feed brassicas to sheep and cattle, particularly through the winter when ewes and cows are pregnant and need sufficient iodine to support a healthy foetus to develop. To top it all, these crops are often low in iodine content as well. Wow, this is shaping up as one of those conversations where the answer to every question immediately makes me want to ask you about five more questions. But for now, I just want to take you back to one thing that you mentioned right at the start of that explanation, which was that the most common way for animals to get iodine was through their diet. Is there another way? Yes, there is. Iodine can be absorbed orally or even directly through the skin 
And this is linked to some interesting thinking about how we used to use iodine for hygiene in the dairy shed. Teeth sprays, for example, were essentially a topical application of iodine to the cow's skin every milking. Iodine was also widely used in sanitizers for milking equipment. In other words, dairying was quite an iodine-rich environment. In recent years, we've seen a move away from iodine in these hygiene products towards more use of other active ingredients. And there's been some concerns raised about whether the amount of iodine present in the dairy environment before this change occurred could have been hiding an underlying iodine deficiency on a number of farms. And that may well be the case. Hmm, that's interesting. So how would farmers know if they have a deficiency? That's the point, Cathy. It's really difficult to clinically diagnose iodine deficiency. The only reliable test in lambs or calves is weighing the thyroid glands of dead or stillborn animals, because that's where the iodine reserves are stored in the body. There are indirect tests. Blood tests will give an indication of the amount of iodine in the diet that's currently being fed. But that's a snapshot on the day with no indication of bodily reserves. And you can test iodine levels in soil and herbage. And this might alert you to a potential problem. But again, these results don't reveal how much iodine is stored in the body. So in sheep, the first thing you may typically see is a much lower pregnancy scanning rate, which is a result of ewes having insufficient iodine during mating. And that would immediately give you a heads up after the fact that something is affecting ewe fertility. Then you would have problems resulting from ewes not having sufficient iodine to support fetal development during the critical stage of late pregnancy, showing as abortions, stillborn lambs, lambs born weak or with goiter, which is a swelling in the neck, lack of ability to thrive, and even lambs born with no wool or very poor wool covering. So is this something that can raise its head without warning? Definitely. And because an iodine deficiency affects not just one animal, but a whole flock, the results can be quite dramatic. As an example, and this is a real life New Zealand situation, a farmer bought a property unaware that it had an iodine deficiency. Out of several hundred in-lamb ewes, he literally ended up with only a handful of live lambs. So that was a huge cost to his business. People who've never had an iodine deficiency diagnosed on their farms are just not familiar with this issue. It just doesn't come up on their radar, and I think it is probably underdiagnosed in New Zealand by some significant amount. I was talking to a dairy vet just recently whose client had calves born with goiter. This was on a property with no previous iodine deficiency known, so it came as quite a surprise. But obviously there was a problem somewhere in the system, possibly to do with winter brassica feeding. I can pretty much guarantee that one dairy farmer would just be the tip of the iceberg. Okay, well, that brings us to how farmers can supplement their animals with iodine. What options do they have available, and how do these compare in terms of effectiveness and efficiency? One of the ways iodine has been traditionally administered to livestock is through iodized salt, just as we do for humans. But then you've always got an issue there around individual animals getting more or less than others. Iodine can be added to stock water, maybe through a dosatron system, which is by far and away the easiest thing for dairy farmers and is 
probably the most common method of supplementing dairy cows. It's not quite so easy for sheep, however. You can drench sheep orally with potassium or sodium iodide, which is relatively short acting. So you'd have to give two to three drenches through the breeding season, meaning that you'd have to muster the ewes at least once during pregnancy, which clearly isn't ideal. The most appropriate and convenient method for sheep is an injectable iodized oil, such as flexidine. One injection a month before mating provides enough iodine to support the ewe's fertility through reproduction and for the lambs to have sufficient iodine reserves in their bodies when they're born to allow them to be able to survive. Lambs born to ewes with sufficient iodine generally don't need any further topping up. So there's a very clear-cut advantage to using the injectable. It's labour-saving. It's basically a set-and-forget scenario. And I don't think there's any doubt it's cost-effective where iodine deficiency is present, especially with the price of lambs these days. Where animals are wintered on brassicas, experts tell us that sheep or cattle should get some form of iodine supplement before they go onto these crops because of brassicas' known suppression of both iodine uptake and the activity of thyroid hormone. Again, injectable iodized oil is probably the most convenient method of supplementation. Injectable iodine can be used on dairy farms too. The slight difference here is that because of the longer pregnancy period in cattle, you'd have to give a second injection approximately six months after the first one, which would be administered about a month before the planned start of mating. Peter, it sounds to me like this is actually quite a complex topic, maybe more so than some farmers actually realise. Yes, it is. Iodine is very much a trace element discussion to have with your veterinarian. It's not cut and dried by any means. A deficiency is difficult to diagnose and it can have a profound economical effect on farm performance. As I mentioned earlier, there are several reasons to suggest iodine deficiency is becoming more commonplace in New Zealand farming. Well, thank you very much for giving us a bit more insight into this issue, Peter. That concludes this episode of the Animal Health Podcast, the second in our series on trace minerals in New Zealand livestock. Next time, tune in for everything you need to know about zinc. Thank you for listening. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Flexidine, only available from your local veterinarian.